All of us at Macclesfield Cricket Club are deeply saddened to learn of the death of Eddie McLaughlin. Eddie Mack, as he was known, played for both Parkside and Macclesfield Cricket Club and was not only a very talented cricketer, but an incredibly popular man around the club. In the words of long-term teammate and friend Dave Cowan, Eddie came to Parkside and then Macclesfield from Heaton Mersey Village Cricket Club. An outstanding opening batsman and seam bowler, he could also keep wickets superbly when asked. A genuine all-rounder. When he left Mac, he went back to Manchester to play his last games of cricket before umpiring in the Lancashire and Manchester leagues for the last decade, together with the odd over-40s and Mac and Parkside invitational appearances. A genuinely great bloke, top commentator, superb company and an absolute know-it-all. All of us at Macclesfield Cricket Club send our condolences to the family and friends of Eddie Mack. Well, the weekend is coming and it's time for a bath. We're going sub some bodies and we'll have a good laugh. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Get It Whacked, the Macclesfield Cricket Club podcast. Over the coming weeks and months, we intend to go behind the scenes of Mac CC and meet some of the players and characters at the club, find out some things about them you never knew, or most likely never wanted to know, and above all, hopefully have a few laughs along the way. Macclesfield Cricket Club is grateful for the continued support of our various sponsors. Today's featured sponsor is John Griffiths Physiotherapy. John Griffiths Physiotherapy is a local physiotherapy company specialising in sports injuries and neck and back problems. They also offer a range of treatments such as medical acupuncture, chiropody podiatry, physiopilates, clinical hypnotherapy, cognitive behavioural therapy and sports massage. Please visit johngriffithsphysiotherapy.com for more information. Without further ado, I would like to introduce today's guest. This man joins us for the third time on the podcast, having featured in the infamous House of Cricket special and his own feature-length episode, which is still one of our most downloaded episodes. Much maligned by his former housemates for being borderline undomesticated, he joins us direct from a victorious campaign with the Sydney Sixers in this year's Big Bash tournament. It's the King of Beck's Blue, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Nick Burtis. Bert, how are you? Hey, Miles. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, all good. Back to normality the last week. So thanks for having me on again. Mate, it's uh, it's a great pleasure. Thanks for uh, dragging yourself out of the pit at uh, a semi, semi-ungodly hour. What is it, 8, eight o'clock over there for you? It's not too bad, is it? Yeah, it's 8am. It's, um, nah, as I said to you before, I, I should be getting up anyway. So I've sort of got into bad sleeping habits while I was away. We, we used to train in the afternoon, so it all stay up late and then get up at 11 12 <laughs> crawl out of bed go to training and crawl back into it later on so now nah, it's good to to get up and get up a bit earlier i'm happy to always happy to get up early and, and talk to you oh mate you're uh, you're too kind well i think the last time you were on the podcast but because of dave bostock and his absolute deaverish uh, drama queen personality tendencies he, he inflicted upon us the the time of the meeting and I think I'm right in saying he sort of made it so that you had to get up at 6am and, and then some awful person insisted on you sculling a beer so I promise we won't do that this time <laughs> yeah well I got through that podcast editing is a breeze after that you know doing it with those three clowns but now it doesn't surprise me that Boz would have made me get up at a at a time that wouldn't suit me Cal's a little bit like that as well so all, all good I, I got used to it over those two summers I spent with them there's a there's a few names a few key names you've mentioned there Bert and I know after the last episode the house of cricket you did feel like you, you got a bit of a a roasting and Towards the end of the podcast, just a bit of a teaser, I think we're going to uh, afford you the opportunity to perhaps uh, defend yourself and, and maybe even score some shots back without uh, being interrupted by those reprobates. So, uh, you know, something to look forward to. Bit of a get-your-own-back session. But uh, before that, mate, obviously we are here to talk about uh, a bit of cricket, catch up with you. As I say, it's great to have you on the podcast and uh, just talk about all things Big Bash, really. Uh, but before we get to that, obviously just wanted to catch up with you and, and see how everything is over in Australia. Unfortunately, we kind of hear on the news that things are taking a little bit of a downturn in Victoria again. You know, how's, how's New South Wales at the moment, Sydney, and, and just generally, you know, the feeling over there? Yeah, I've only, I've only really been in Sydney probably just over a week 
a bit longer now, maybe ten days since since we got back. But yeah, it's pretty pretty normal here. Like there's um I think I haven't been on public transport. I think when you're on public transport people are wearing masks and I think you might have to actually, but there's restrictions getting lifted all the time in terms of how many people you can have a have over at your house or in a pub or you know anything like that. So I think it's been so long now you've almost got used to sort of restrictions. But I'd say you know compared to I guess what it's like over where you guys are, it's pretty pretty relaxed and and pretty easy going. Like you know the big bash final had I think had thirty five thousand there. Didn't feel like there was much COVID, like or any any rules. So yeah, it's actually been quite good. Like we we were lucky or unlucky that we had to travel everywhere in the Big Bash. So we sort of saw different states and I guess how they were going. And you know some some states like uh, South Australia or Tasmania, it, it's basically back to normal. Um, you know we we had rules on us, but yeah, you sort of just walk around and yeah, especially when I was in Adelaide, I didn't realise anyone. Like I didn't really sort of notice any rules or anyone with masks or anything like that so it's sort of getting back to normal and then even in melbourne when we were there it was it was all good i think it was 20 or thirty thousand at mcg when we played sort of just the last couple of days sort of kicked up again but yeah i think we've been pretty lucky here compared to you know what's going on in other countries yeah absolutely and you know most recent podcasts with uh you know another former overseas a little bit before your time but uh sam mctaggart he's out on the the sunshine coast and obviously he was kind of mentioning the same sort of things really um there's a there's a pretty sort of normal life being led in in, in quite a fair bit of australia but you know for those mm-hmm. that are, are in victoria obviously we send our best wishes as i said on the previous episode i, I guess australia is is sort of a little bit of a, a shining light for, for the rest of us to kind of cling on to and hope that we can uh head that way so you know fingers crossed mate yeah like yeah hopefully sydney keeps tracking well like there was that hiccup sort of just before christmas there was quite a few cases but they they did pretty well like cleaned it up quite quick and yeah like if you, if you were to come here you, you probably wouldn't realize a whole lot of difference really which is which is good moving on from obviously the, the sort of covid and update obviously here to talk about the big bash my first question for you is sort of how did you your kind of contract come about was it something that you were hopeful for i know obviously you'd you kind of been in and around a, a, a little bit of the sixer stuff last year I, I think you played some sort of development cricket or, or sort of second 11 fixture for them is is that right uh yeah they have like um I didn't do it this year, but the other years I've had like academies. Um, there's like a Thunder Sixers Academy and you played against a Pakistani team and a, and Hobart had one. So it was like a little mini tournament. It might actually might have been a New Zealand or Auckland team, sorry. Um, and you play these these games. But yeah, I only really played, I think I only played one game because I was in the Shield team and wasn't really around. So yeah, I'd sort of been involved and knew the, the coach and the the GM a little bit, the general manager from from that. I think how it came around a bit more for me was obviously Moses is the captain who I know really well, played a lot with him at New South Wales. And I think it came from that, obviously, with the tournament being structured differently this year with, with COVID, um, they, they needed a, another wicketkeeper to come away with them. And Moses was, was pretty big in my corner with, with coming and um, coming to the squad. And yeah, it sort of... I think I got a hundred first game this round, uh, this year, round one in a one day, and the coach called me not that long after that, and just sort of asked if I'd want to come in and be the backup keeper, potentially, you know, play as a batter if there was opportunity, and yeah, sort of, sort of went from there, and I, I pretty much knew I was going to be going pretty early, which was good. Yeah, so I wasn't, I wasn't actually fully contracted at the start, and then I. I was, I was I took like Nathan Lyon's replacement spot so obviously he was only available for maybe three games at the end so I was like his replacement and then in the end he ended up pulling out so I was just there the whole time anyway which worked well so yeah it, it's all sort of happened pretty quick and I guess I was a little bit surprised but there's not a, there's not many other wicket keepers around here so and the other two are with the Thunder so it sort of worked out well for me. Now, I mean, obviously, this is a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek question here, but but um, you know, how does it feel to be mentioned in the same breath as the uh, the great Gary the Goat, Nathan Lyon? A lot of people kept asking me, like, "What are you going to buy Austin or something?" Like, <laughs> as yours said on his podcast, you know, behind every wicketkeeper there is a frustrated spinner. So, 
you talked up your bowling on uh, on your on your last podcast, mate, um, or on your uh, your feature episode rather, and you mentioned how you you bowled one over in a in a, <laughs> in a great game, and nobody wanted to get out to you. So, I mean, maybe maybe there's a future in that turning your arm over. You know, <laughs> bowled one more this year in a game, and it was a bit of a dead game first grade. So, still didn't get a wicket, but that was a bit better than my first over. But yeah, no, it was interesting. Like, it sort of didn't make sense, like why they replacing a spinner with a, a keeper batter but yeah I think it's more they're sort of covering all, all bases and I think I think Lyon um, after the test series I think everyone sort of knew he was probably a good chance of not not coming back to another bubble which would be really hard for those guys like Starkey did the same thing so yeah I ended up staying the the whole time and it worked out yeah it worked out really well like it was hard but play that well as it was only able to be there for the final. And have you uh, sort of gone back a little bit more focused to the wicket-keeping this year? Obviously, you know, when you first came into the the Blues squad, I know they'd kind of said to you um, that they wanted you to focus more on, on being a batsman and, and less about the keeping. And then obviously there was that game against the, was it the England Lions or someone where you suddenly got chucked the gloves a little bit out of nowhere. But um, has there been a bit more kind of discussion, you know, with, with them and, and say the Sixers about, um, you know, the keeping? Is that something you're a bit more focused on this season, perhaps? Well, I wasn't really until they... They rang me, like Moses rang me. So then I, I was like, well, I probably should, because we had another keeper at Para who's quite good. He's in the under-19s, so and he'd just come to us. So once they told me that I was going to, you know, be the backup keeper, I did do a fair bit more and, and kept in probably, trying to think, I haven't played much, but maybe three or four games before, maybe five games before I went away. So a bit more focus just because I actually get a bit more nervous keeping and batting. So I was like, well, probably just want to, get a few games on my belt so I feel feel all right because yeah as you said I hadn't really done much in the last couple of seasons with keeping mainly worrying about batting so I was, sort of felt all right as soon as I started doing it, it sort of all comes back pretty quick but did yeah, I think I did, did four or five grade games before I went in the bubble which which you know helped and how were the hands were they uh, stinging off those first couple of sessions more my legs I think I, was, <laughs> I, I didn't do many sessions I, I never really trained that much for keeping so I sort of went straight in and I remember the fir- first game was a one day I didn't keep very well I was like oh just felt really rusty but then after that I was I was fine like yeah, you get a bit sore your back and your legs when you don't do it much but as I said like a couple of couple of games in I was fine and and when I went into the squad I was I was pretty confident so obviously fast forwarding a little bit you know you kind of got the call up you know via Moses obviously a little bit of involvement with the Sixers before how was kind of transitioning into to the bubble environment um, obviously a lot has been talked about you know athletes in COVID bubbles especially in cricket both in England over last summer and obviously throughout the world. You know, what, what was your initial experience of kind of coming into that bubble, and, and perhaps you could tell us how, how that works, really. Yeah, like a few of the a few of the guys had been in one in Adelaide the Shield game, so they a couple of them, and it wasn't very good either. Like I think they were quite strict and it was pretty long and tedious. Whereas I think by the time we went into our bubble, which yeah started a couple of days at, at Coogee in Sydney, but then we went to Hobart basically, and it was. It was quite. I actually found it quite good. Like, yeah. You know, so I think there was four or five teams in Hobart at once. We all stayed in the same hotel, and it was, you know, sort of the whole floor was. You know, the Sixers had that floor. The next floor was the Renegades. The floor above was Strikers, Hurricanes. So it sort of worked like that in terms of you, you're pretty isolated from the general public in the hotel. Um, and then there was like a general like bar area with a TV whatnot which all the teams and only us could use on one floor so that was pretty good like if i'm being honest there's a lot of drinking like hobart was, was we drank a lot you know you'd sort of do, say you had a training day you train for a few hours you know come back you know might go get some food because you're allowed to go out you just couldn't go inside places you'd have to eat in like a beer garden or drink in a beer garden you had to stay outside so it was all right like you could go out and about Probably more than I thought at, at first. Just had to wear a mask if you went inside, and then yeah, make sure you're sitting and sitting, eating, or drinking outside. But yeah, most sort of most nights or afternoons, probably most nights, you know, there'd be twenty or thirty players from all the teams sitting in the bar having a few drinks. It was pretty good. Hobart was probably one of the best bubbles actually. You had sort of that, and you actually met quite a few guys from other teams. By the end, there's not that much to do because T20s only go for three hours training doesn't go for long you're sort of you know got not, 
not much else to do. So yeah, that was actually that was Hobart. That was that was pretty fun. That's sort of how it started. Um, and then every place was pretty similar. Some was some places were better than others. Like the Gold Coast, we were on a like a golf resort, so most of us played quite a lot of golf. And then yeah, you could you know you could go out for dinner to like a outdoor pub or restaurant or something, but you know, you got to come back. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it wasn't. It wasn't too bad, I, I guess. And probably sounds worse than probably what it actually was. And were you kind of subject to much testing, perhaps in and around the travel? I suppose if you're having to take flights. Uh, no, I mean, I only took one at the start. So when we met in Sydney, we played a trial game, and then we got tested. That was yeah, that was it. That was the only time. Pretty sure that's the only time we all got tested. Well, I mean, I think I'm probably right in saying it's it's better than being tested <laughs> daily or weekly, because uh, I would imagine yeah. those t- tests probably get pretty old, having something shoved down the back of your throat and up your nose. Yeah, I, yeah, I did it once. It actually wasn't too bad, but a few of the other boys had a few more went before that, and I was saying it's yeah, it's not. Not nice. So it'd be interesting, I think, to hear maybe, um, you know, you mentioned about kind of what, what you got up to a little bit socially, but um, perhaps talk us through, um, firstly, like a, a typical sort of non, non-match non day, like a training day, what your kind of, you know, routine and, and a bit of training structure would look like. Good question. We, I think the one thing I've, I learned actually quite quick was there wasn't heaps of structure, like the way, especially the way we did things, like our coach was quite really really good coach and i actually liked it it wasn't sort of set in stone what you had to do it was mainly training was a lot of you know you get what you want to get you know if you didn't if you didn't want to bat you didn't really have to bat if you didn't want to bowl you know you didn't really have to bowl every session so i think in that way it was it was quite good um so like a normal day for training you know say we train it a lot of times a lot of times we train around 12 31 so my, my routine might be a bit different but this is what probably most guys are doing we'd generally stay up pretty late in the bar or something and then we would probably i wouldn't wake up to about 10 and then have a shower maybe grab something to eat the breakfast place and then yeah get on i had like each team would have a couple of vans so you'd pull into these like seven seater vans um to go to training and then yeah probably train for we never train for more than two hours maybe three hours at most and even some of that is just sort of sitting around, like we have lunch at training, like things like that. Like it, it wasn't very intense, um, you know, training. Most of it would just be nets. So, you know, have a warm up and then um, it'd be nets and probably eight or nine batters, which we had in our squad, would would all pad up and you'd sort of rotate you know, in the nets with batting pairs and rotate between yourselves quite a lot. And most, I'd say most of our guys bowled every session as well so you'd face bowlers and um yeah there was bowling machines if you, if you needed so it was pretty much get what you get get what you want like i know for example like carlos Rathwaite didn't really like facing the bowlers that much so he would generally he would bowl a little bit then he'd go into the machine slog a few and then that was that was pretty much him done if there wasn't any fielding there might be some fielding um yeah i know like Vinny james vince didn't really fancy facing bowlers that much so he would he would get the guys on the wangers, you know, sidearms to, to sidearm in balls for however long he wanted. And then as soon as he felt good, that would, <laughs> that'd be Vinny done. So yeah, and then go back and, I don't know, chill out to, to dinner. I'll go and get dinner with a few people and then probably into the bar, really. <laughs> that's what, that's what our, our team did quite well. We were pretty social, which was really good. Like we, we were definitely the most social team with each other. And um, I think it probably showed throughout the, the two months, like in the end. I know we won because we had a good team, but it was a lot of it was we, we generally liked each other, which which helped. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I, w- I was going to say. Actually, kind of watching, I didn't watch all the games, but you know, I tried to watch as much as I could. And and one of the things that you could tell that, um, and I think you can always tell this, and it doesn't matter what f- standard of cricket you you're playing or watching. Um, if a team like each other, you can kind of really tell that, and there's always a you know a, quite a good vibe and you know lots of uh well just mates playing cricket that's that's one of the enduring great things about cricket isn't it and i think that's certainly something you could tell um and i suppose it might be interesting to a few people to hear that you know perhaps your your training regime and and um sort of socialness around the team was uh was at the levels it was but at the end of the day mate it's a it's a results driven business and obviously you know you walk away with the with the title so yeah it's it's kind of nice to hear that um possibly in a, in, a, in a world in which some sports people are you know not overly coached, but very heavily coached and micromanaged. And there's a lot of very structured training that there's still kind of is uh, room for, you know, a slightly more 
loose approach, if that's a fair way of putting it. Yeah, I think they were um, they were brilliant in. I think Carlos actually might have done an interview with with someone, and he said it well. Like just the player management was was really really good, especially now you look back at it and like with training and you know they they knew that guys in our team liked to drink, so they would they had no issues doing it. it was, you know, we were performing. Well, the boys are performing every week, every game. We'll come first or second, you know, pretty much the whole way through, which, which I guess made that a lot easier. But, you know, if, if you know, I, I remember like a couple of times a guy would come to training and he'd just feel a little bit down or he wasn't, you know, really committed and they would just say, well, just, just chill out. Like, if you don't want to come, don't come. You don't need to, you know, it's a long, it's a long haul being in here. We're, we're looking at an, an end goal, not the goal right now. So I think. They did that really well, and it was always quite calm, which was led by so Moses wasn't there for a long time. So we had Daniel Hughes as captain, Greg Shippett's our coach. You know, they sort of led that, and all the players bought in, and it, and you could just tell that people felt like, well, you could not that you could do what you wanted, but if you be managed in a way that would would help you perform. So I actually think they did that. They did that really, really well, and especially this year when it was it was tough. Like some guys. Yeah, even me, I was some days were terrible. Like you just lie in your room and you'd be hating it and you know, you just want to go home or, you know, if you had a bad day at training or in a game, like it, it was pretty shit because you'd just look go back and stare at your wall or your ceiling. But we were, yeah, very good at the you know, did so many social things going out, you know, doing things as a team, which was backed by the management, which which generally made it so much easier to, to be in there. That's some really kind of uh great stuff in there but and you know again sort of commend you for being very sort of open and honest i'm sure uh some people would uh, be, be less candid so all credit to you for that i suppose um leading on from what you've said it's great to hear that they took such a a key kind of focus on sort of player welfare and and, and management obviously you know you found yourself in in an incredibly star-studded squad and a, and a, a high-flying very high performing team like you said you were kind of first or second the entire tournament and obviously ran out winners um for, for someone like yourself on on the the sort of the fringes of the team should we say how difficult firstly was it for you to be fighting for that place and and obviously sadly not getting the opportunity this time round and and also how did the, the sort of captain and, and and the management um you know aid you and, and keep you motivated to, to want to break into that team even though it was as i say such a, a star-studded and, and high-performing team yeah I, I sort of knew when i went in that the team was it was going to be good, and it's, it's it is hard to get in. I guess at the start of the tournament, like there was there was probably a bit of an opportunity with Moses not playing because he was in the Aussie squad. So it was, I guess there was one spot up for grabs as a batter. We played a couple of practice games, and Jack Edwards did really well. He he batted quite well, so he he played the first few games, and then I remember thinking like I remember sitting with another guy who was on the bench with me. Like, Jeez, this this is a good team. Like yeah, you bring Moses back into this. You know, we're going to be hard to beat. So it sort of didn't really phase me much. It was just, you know, train well and, you know, if someone gets injured or there's an opportunity, you know, be ready to, to take it or if um, Flipper gets injured, the gloves, you know, just be just be ready. And I, I probably got to me probably halfway through when, you know, there was probably a spot up the top there where one of the guys was struggling a bit and thought, you know, there was a few rumours when you're around a group for so long as well that, you know, people start saying, well, I think you should play and do this and that. And, um, and you know, people home are sort of saying it. And that, that was probably the only time I got a bit itchy about um, really, you know, really wanting to play. And I probably, if I'm being honest, thought I probably should have played a game or two, probably around that halfway stage. I actually did speak to the captain. He was Daniel Hughes at the time. I've been friends with him for years. So he was... He was quite good. He was pretty honest, and I just said, "Oh well, I haven't played for a long time. I reckon I could do a job here. I could, I could play. What's your thoughts?" And to be honest, he was quite good. He, he was honest and said, "This is what we're thinking or what we're doing." And you know, after that, I, I had a couple of thoughts about maybe going home to play a few games because I wasn't playing at all. But then, yeah, after speaking to the coach and the, the general manager, who was Jody Hawkins, she was really good. They sort of Again, like I think managed because I wasn't the only one as well. There was quite a few guys that were starting to get a bit frisky at probably the halfway point, even probably even a bit beyond that. But yeah, I think you know once they were pretty honest about what was going to happen and who was playing and where you sort of fit in and and see you playing, um, it was probably a bit easier for me to to take. Like training was a bit hard. Like you're sort of training and you're like, well, I'm not 
playing. Like he'd sort of go through the motions a bit. So I, I just helped out quite a lot, sort of almost like another coach and just helped out around training. Um, I think guys appreciated that. But yeah, no, definitely frustrating not to play. And there was probably a few times where I thought I could play or, or should play. But once once Moses and Sean came back in the team, it was um, we were pretty red hot. Like, you know, basically a international batting lineup. Our bowling was was really good, so it wasn't. Yeah, it's it hard to get in. So what, I think when that happens, you sort of, you know, if, if you're realistic and you're not deluded, I think you you realise, I guess, where you stand. Yeah, and obviously, I'm I'm sure that is tough, and and I'm sure you know by the same tact that you know your honesty and 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 sort of positivity that you're taking from it when you're speaking to kind of you you know the coaches and general manager or the captain. Um, I suppose it's those situations that those types of people kind of take notice of uh, you know the character you are and your eagerness to play um, and I'm sure you've uh, <laughs> done yourself uh, no harm for the future what what can you speak of about the the kind of experience you know you mentioned uh, an absolutely star-studded team there and especially in the the batting department not to take anything away from the bowlers but you know pretty much a, an international batting lineup as you said um, what can you say about um, the sort of experience of of training and, and playing with some of these players and are there are there any sort of takeaway um things that you've kind of learnt or developed throughout your time in and around such a, a sort of star-studded group of players um yeah yeah you you sort of pinch yourself sometimes you're at training and you, you're batting with you know dan christian or james vince or moses and or you know even josh Phillippe. like he was yeah, he was unreal. I spent, you know, obviously a lot of time with him keeping and, and talking about cricket. Yeah, he won't mind me saying so. He's not, not the brightest guy in the world, but just the way he goes about cricket, I think, is is so different and, and it's why he's so good. Um, just he's, you know, he's got such a fearless, fearless approach to playing. Like, um, honestly, and same with Dan Christian, like, there's so much confidence in their own ability. And obviously, you know, Christian DC is on a different, I guess, time of his career to flipper like you know dc's 37 and played all over the world he's won won everything you know he's had success internationally domestically you know basically franchise cricket wherever he's played um, and you can sort of tell when you're around him and he, he uses confidence i guess around a team because he's always well, confident in his own ability but he, he sort of makes other people feel confident about their their ability as well but yeah no it was yeah i, I guess i learned quite a lot just from, I guess, watching people and how they prepare. Like, I became really good friends with James Vince and um, he he was very similar to me, I think, as a, as a person and, and how he went about cricket. But just, I guess, realising that and thinking, well, you know, if this guy does this sort of stuff and it, it works for him, like, there's always, you know, there's no wrong. You know, I always thought sometimes the way I go about it might be wrong and then you, you, you watch someone like Vinny train and, and bat and even the way he goes about, his social life before games and things like that. Um, I found that quite interesting and, and probably just got a lot out of just chatting to him. We spent a lot of lot of nights together and a lot of a lot of time on the beers. Yeah, probably probably got a lot out of even just the, the chats we had about you know playing and even even playing in England and you know how he how he went about you know his Test career, his his one day career, why why he didn't do as well as he should or why he got to where he was and. Yeah, I think a lot of it is you spend so much time in there. You you have conversations with people that you know played twenty tests or fifty tests, and yeah, and, it, and you realise that everyone sort of goes about it differently. But also, it's just, there's no real wrong or right way. I, I think either progressing through the tournament, as you say, the Sixers did exceptionally well. I, th- I think you only only lost a couple of games in the end. Um, on your way to the final, what can you tell us? About- you know, generally about final and uh, your experience of, of just the whole day. I remember it was actually raining all day. I remember getting up and for me, there's no nerves because I'm not, I know I'm not playing. So it's sort of, you know, I'm, game days are pretty long. You're just waiting for the game, whereas everyone else is a bit, you know, a bit nervous and anxious. But I remember actually driving into the city in Sydney, which me, uh, Steve O'Keefe and Vincey went and went to Culture Kings for a while and just walked around the city in the rain. I think you know Sock gets quite nervous before games, so he was it was good for him just to to get out and do something. And um, I don't know, I don't know about Vinny, but whatever we did work because he he was a man on a mission that night, and um, he also played really well. But I just remember the the crowd was so loud, like 
as loud as I've ever heard. I think there hasn't been any cricket really in Sydney for probably almost two months before that game with COVID. Like, like all, all our games got cancelled. Um, I just remember the crowd getting there really early. Like we had never started warming up and I reckon it was half full. And I, just, I remember asking um, O'Keefe, he's played heaps and heaps of games there, and he was like, this is going to be ridiculous. You can tell already. Um, and it was almost full, too. I don't know how they let that happen, but it was almost full. And there was there was one moment, and I, I remember it when Vince hit it, hit it miles in the air, like miles straight up, and Mitch Marsh sort of ran back and dropped it. And I've, I've never heard a louder roar. And even talking to Vinny after, he reckons that's one of the loudest roars he's ever heard on a cricket field. And he's, he's played in World Cup games. and you know, tournaments all around the world. And he said he's never, ever heard anything like that. Um, so it was pretty cool. Even running drinks around the ground, it was it was just really loud and a, a pretty cool atmosphere. I think it was just people being so excited to get to games. It's obviously a pretty big fan base of the Sixers as well. Like, you know, they're the main team in Sydney, I guess, around that, that area, sort of the eastern suburbs. And there was, yeah, a lot of kids. But it was just, I just remember it being so, so loud, which... Yeah, you could tell even even guys that, that have played, you know, DC, Moses, O'Keefe, Silk, you know, Hughes, like they've played a lot of games. Like they were generally, like Vince, Carlos, like they, they've played so many games everywhere. They were they were pumped and, and, and ready to go. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool atmosphere. And then kind of skip on in into the game itself. The first innings is done with what's the sort of mood in and around the team? Oh, we're pretty happy. I think... Thing that we got, we got about 180 something, pretty high 180s, and I reckon I I remember saying to I was at Jack Edwards, I said, oh, we've got enough here. That's I think we're home. Everyone's a bit nervous, but it was a good score. Like I think anything over 170 was going to be pretty hard to get in a final. Um, obviously, Vinny Vinny batted really really well and got 90 odd, and then even the other guys chipped in and and smacked it as well. So. Yeah, halfway, I was I was confident. I don't know what the others, the other guys seem pretty nervous, but it's easy for me to say I don't have to go on the field. But we didn't start very well with the ball, though. They were like 40 off three, I reckon. And then I was like, oh, God, no. Sean had bowled a really bad over. Sean went for about 20. I'm like, oh, I think I've spoken. I've gone off too soon here. Because they, they had a pretty good team, pretty good batting lineup. But I think Jason Roy didn't play, which, which probably helped us. But, yeah, 180, I was always going to be pretty hard to get and then obviously you mentioned that was the first game um you know well in sydney for for the Sixers um at all and you know the crowd and everything like that obviously you know you, you run out winners cue wild celebrations um which you know i'm sure lots of people watched and a fantastic moment but one of the things that i i did kind of want to ask you about um i saw some some great pictures that uh you know, you or uh, your, your lovely other half, Dom, put up. What was that kind of moment where you were able to sort of reunite even, albeit from a distance, over over the barriers um, with some of your sort of families, loved ones, etc.? Yeah, what was that moment like for the for the players that were, were lucky enough to have that? Oh, yeah, it was, it was obviously good because you hadn't, some of us hadn't seen anyone or family members for over two months. I guess some of the other boys had because if they're from in a state, they're, yeah, families could come in at times during the during the bubble, but yeah, it was it was almost a bit it was a bit weird because you haven't seen someone for so long. Yeah, someone's like, oh, hey, <laughs> a, bit, a bit awkward, but I think um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Like Dom came to the game, and you know, or most of her family came as well, so that was pretty cool. I actually saw her her dad and her brother in the stands when I was running drinks, they were all shouting at me. So, but yeah, and I was it was pretty cool. It was, it was hard though because you you still couldn't. You could see them, but you couldn't really like give them a hug or anything like that. The security guards were sort of all over you. Whereas it would have been, it would have been even better if you know we could have had all the family members and you know partners, wives in the change room. I think that's what they did last year when they won it. Obviously, we had Philippi was in the Aussie squad to go to New Zealand, so we couldn't break the break the bubble till or get out of the bubble to the day after. So, but yeah, no, it was it was a good feeling and a fitting way to finish the tournament. You mentioned obviously having some, uh, you know, nearest and dearest up in the stand there. Can't let you get away too easy without asking you when you were running drinks. But did you hear? Nick. <laughs> I I actually didn't. She was in a box somewhere, so no, I, I didn't. But I I did hear people screaming at me at some point. 
So <laughs> just trying to try not look, look like an idiot looking back and trying to spot people. But I had a, I had a couple of mates in the crowd, you know, give me a tough time, but that was all right. Any giggity, giggity, giggities? No, nah, no, nah, none of that. It was a lot of, a lot of, hey, water boy. You know? <laughs> yeah, a, lot, a lot of that. That was pretty much every game, but. Yeah, there was, a, there was a crew of us that ran the drinks a lot, so we were, we were almost like our own little team off the field. So yeah, we, we just yeah, we were actually we, it was actually all right. Like if, the more you do on the game day, it goes a bit quicker, and you feel like you've con- contributed, which was yeah, which which was good. Like at the end, you actually at first I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna really, am I gonna think I won it or? And then by the end, we were like so pumped that we're gonna win. It, it felt like we'd. It felt like you'd almost played all the games, really. I know it's an old cliche, Nick, but uh, there's no iron team. Yep, no, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, you couldn't be like that, otherwise you'd be you'd been home in January. Well, that's it, exactly. Um, so moving on, mate. I mean, obviously, you know, some things are better left unsaid, I'm sure. But uh, what can you tell us about the the post final celebrations? Um, well, they're pretty good. It was pretty long. Well, we we're in the we we're in the change rooms for quite a while, which was which was pretty cool. Like. Just um, well, they presented the guys that didn't play like a medal, and um, so that was that was pretty cool. Like everyone sort of got a speech and got a medal, and you'd scull a beer when you got it. But yeah, plenty of plenty of beers and photos, and then we all of us players and staff went onto the went onto the ground, and yeah, just soaking it all up, I guess. Like it's 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 pretty cool. Like even with no one in there. Yeah, you know, just drinking on the on the outfield and you know, chatting about the two months and the game and you know, as I said, we, we all got along so well. Like, you know, there's a couple of guys that a little bit, you know, outside of it, but even them, you know, just everyone sort of bought in and it was such a good environment to be in that I think, you know, it didn't matter if you were the best player in the team and you, you didn't play a game, you were sort of all best mates, which which made the, the celebrations really good. Like you felt, you know, everyone had, had played a part on or off the field yeah so we're in the, we're at the scg till about at least 2 a.m maybe even later um and we got a bus back to the hotel because we couldn't go out so we're just in the hotel in like our team room drinking and i think someone put the replay of the game on actually so we're watching and carrying on a bit and then about seven or eight of us at about five or six a.m went to went down the um down the road to milson's point which is just under the harbour bridge where we sort of kept canning on. People were doing yoga classes and all sorts of things on a Sunday morning, and we were in our full kit still with the trophy, medals and hats on. So yeah, it was it was pretty funny. I was pretty tired by then. I was I was struggling, and then cause it was it was James Vince's last day, so he he left the, the day after, and I was pretty good mate to him. So I thought I better stay up with him try to like went to get breakfast and they do like you guys would probably know like he calls it an irish coffee which is uh, go we did it once on the trip as well you go to a cafe and just get a coffee with baileys in it i think so i actually ducked off i'm like i need to go to bed because we're going out the next day and the others went and did that they got a couple hours sleep maybe an hour sleep and then we're straight to clavelli which is right on the beach the um, pub there i actually took cal there once he he you know, reckons I never took him anywhere, but I, I took him to that pub once. Yeah, we had like a big bar tub, and pretty much everyone came, and yeah, it was it was, it was pretty cool. We were there to midnight the next day, <laughs> all day, so it was sort of you know not much sleep, a lot of, a lot of drinking, but it sort of done it the whole trip anyway. So people were like, hasn't really, hasn't really changed, but yeah, like all the overseas guys came for a bit, then had to leave because. Like they played a big part, even like Jake Ball. He's he struggled a bit, like on the field. Like he, he didn't bowl as well as I, I reckon he, he probably can. And um, but he was such a good bloke. Like yeah, it's easy to probably throw it in a bit when you're not doing that well and you're the overseas. But yeah, he, he was he was a legend. And, and Carlos was there the whole time with with Vinny, and they were they were great. Like even for guys like us who didn't play, like they was you end up spending so much time with them and just. I found them really, really good blokes. And yeah, a few guys went again on the Monday. They they went back out again, but Dom Dom had me home by then. She was like I was I was done as well. I'd I drank myself silly. So but yeah, no, it was it was pretty pretty good, pretty good couple of days and I think, yeah, everyone sort of let their hair down a bit out of as soon as you get out of the bubble as well, it was a pretty good feeling. 
so yeah, I think they've all they've all wrapped up now though. It's been a week now, so we've had to get back to reality. Well, uh, it's great to kind of hear about your experiences and some really great insights there. I'm sure for everyone, you know, in and around uh, a successful campaign for the Sydney Sixers. Um, moving on now, we've uh, we've got a few questions from some of the uh, the podcast patrons. Some uh, very recognisable names to yourself, I'm sure, Bert. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll try you out with a few of these. So, uh, great friend of the podcast, Andy Curly Moore's sweeping buddy. Uh, he's got a couple of questions for you, Bert. Firstly. Why were you wearing a sports bra whilst running around the field after the big win? I keep getting I, I keep getting asked this. I shouldn't have done it. They um uh, the girl called Hannah who was like a it's like digital media stuff. So she took a lot of photos and videos. Like the stuff you see on Instagram, she she sort of she sort of did um the whole tournament. But she had this GoPro that people like were running. They had it on when they were doing the drink for most games, and. She knew we were all going to run on the field and no one else would do it. And she was like, come on, like you'll carry on. like Just put it on. I was like, all right, I'll do it. And um, yeah, so I basically just did it for her to get some content. But I actually haven't seen any of it yet. It'd be no good. It would be me running into a pack of people. Like it, it's it's not going to be like, <laughs> I said that to her. It's going to be great, um, great footage. But yeah, that was the that was the reason behind that. No one else was, was stupid enough to do it apart from me. Very good. Well, it's always uh, it's always good to be supported properly whilst uh, on the field of play, but <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that. His second question, mate. He'd like to know who's the better spinner, Steve O'Keefe or Tony Moores? Oh, well, very um, very similar revs on the ball. I'd like to say. I think I still think as good as Sock is, and and we're calling Sock the goat halfway through the, the tournament. He's just that good at T twenty. I still think Tony Malls has had more career wickets than Socky. So, um, <laughs> you know, you, you know, Sock might listen to this. He, he, I might send it to him, but he'd, he'd be happy to know that. I, I still think Tony Malls probably spins the ball a little bit more than him as well. Um, Socky hasn't spun many in the last few years, but I'm actually playing him on the weekend. He'll probably spin one now and get me out. <laughs> yeah, I think two two great figures of cricket, two of the best people that I'm lucky to be involved with. You know, Sock's an absolute legend. Tony Morse speaks for himself, doesn't he? So, yeah. Well, we're going to have to go off. What do you do? You call it Mike uh, play cricket over there? Play cricket stats have probably got Tony Morse with a few more wickets. So, I think, Bert, you've uh, you've managed to <laughs> conjure up an answer that will satisfy just about everybody. Uh, I commend you for that. But of course, even though you were calling Socky the goat, as far as we're all concerned, there's only one goat, and it's Sir Anthony Morse. <laughs> yeah that's fair enough i'm happy with that <laughs> very good Bert. now uh alex nipper griffiths i think this might be his uh first appearance of sorts on the podcast no doubt he'll be making a an episode appearance in the future would like to know were there any words exchanged after the game i think this is a semi-final correct me if i'm wrong between james vince Vinny. And uh, AJ Ty. Now, Bert, obviously, professional sportsman here. I don't want to put you under too much cosh, but uh, what can you tell us about the incident? And for those that, that don't know, uh, James Vince was uh, left stranded on, I think, 98, not out. Basically, he had the opportunity to hit, hit 100 and win the game. And uh, for some unfortunate reason, AJ Ty uh, ran in and, and, and bowled, uh, well, a, a bouncer that went about 15 yards over James Vince's head, uh, thus winning the game for the Sixers, but leaving him stranded. And and Vince had a, a couple of fairly taut lines uh, in his post-match interview. But yeah, any any anything you can give us a little insight there, Bert? Um, yeah, obviously. So I didn't even notice at the time, but no, no one from the City Sixers in 10 years has ever got 100. So everyone was like pretty, pretty pumped up. And like Vinny had, not struggled, but like he'd sort of been up and down throughout the tournament. So like he was he was pumping it that night as well. Jeez, he was just smashing it. And I remember Husey blocking it out to to be able to get him the hundred. So the crowd was all pumped up. And he's obviously bowled the wide. I remember being filthy. Like lucky the camera didn't go to me. I was so angry. I was blowing up massively. I wanted because I, I think if he just pitched it up, Vince would have probably pumped it anyway. He was batting that well. I guess after it. Ugh, a few guys are sort of split half and half. Like, oh, did he do it on purpose? Did he? Did he? Was it an accident? I don't. I don't know. I, I don't really know, Ty. But 
I don't know, it didn't it didn't look great. It, yeah. Vinny was sort of a bit weird. Like he was he was he was all right about it. He didn't really he didn't really say much. He was you know, I think he was just happy to get get some runs. We had a few drinks later that night and he, he started getting a bit more fired up about it. But um nah, nothing nothing really happened. I think he I generally I think he didn't I don't think he meant it just from how like upset he was after the game. But yeah, I, I don't know. Just from going off his reaction, I thought he didn't. At the time, I was, I was so angry, and I don't know. It's hard to tell with Vinny. He doesn't give much away, but he was. I think he was. I think he was secretly pretty filthy. Well, I think that's uh, enough of putting you under the cost there. But what I can tell you, and, <laughs> and in uh, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but uh, James Mintz's post-match interview, obviously, was pretty raw at the time. I, I think he alluded to the fact that the only person that would know what happened would be uh, AJ Ty himself although he did make mention of the fact that he he had managed to pitch the ball at his own feet so (laughs) the jury's out on that one pal (laughs) a good question from Nipper and uh, you know all credit to you for 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 answering it uh, yeah without giving too too much away I think there Bert so well done (laughs) now uh, moving on to another podcast uh, well he must be the top mentionee on the podcast, Carl David Burgess, um, the oh, big man big himself. Fan. Obviously, it's a, another great opportunity to encourage people to keep track of Burgess' Pounds for Pounds challenge. I think he's uh, well over the halfway mark now in, in terms of time. I, I don't know about his goals, but um, you know, it's it's a great uh, it's a great cause that Carl's raising money for, and obviously a great thing for him to be doing. So, I really encourage people to get involved. Um, either sponsor him, take a look at his social media, and you know, all credit to Carl where he's due. He gets a lot of stick, but uh, he's putting his putting his money where his mouth is. But uh, his question is as follows: Bert, who gives it the biggest long handle, Carlos Brathwaite or Jason Holder? <laughs> Good question, Burge. I knew you'd come up with something like this. Having Jason Holder was was unreal. He he was um he was great value on and off the field. I haven't mentioned him yet. Actually, he was he was an absolute legend. And he one of the best moments I reckon was when he, he won us a game with like eighteen to get off the last over. I think he got it with um a ball to go. So yeah, I think let's say off the field, Carlos Brathwaite on the field, Holder. And uh, even even though Carlos has hit some absolute balls to the moon, you still reckon Holder's uh. Holders, holders, giving it the long handle. Yeah, well, I think um, without being rude, Carlos probably struggled this year a bit. We probably didn't see the best of his batting. He bowled really well, but yeah, just just from in the nets, like you watch um, Holder bat and he just smashed it. Like such long levers, such a good swing of the bat. Like when we we play, I played golf with him a couple of times. Actually, smashes it on the golf course. Like I've never seen anyone hit the ball further than him. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just going off this tournament, probably. Probably throughout their careers, Carlos has probably got him covered, but this tournament um, holder was, yeah, it was, it was, was pretty good. And uh, moving on to another one of our podcast regulars, the great man, David Bostock himself. Um, he's He's got a couple of questions for you. Now, you obviously mentioned the team uh, team drinks runners. He would, uh, he'd like to know, does Dan Christian drink H2O or Gatorade? <laughs> I think Bozer asked me this question when he called me, so I don't know why he's doubling up. Dan, Dan Christian drinks whatever Dan Christian needs, right? And whatever you know, there's there's always a, a hero behind the behind the cameras as well, Bozer. Which um, you know, I had to run run Christian quite a lot of drinks at his age of 37, so he was just getting whatever I would put in the bottle. That's about Bozzy's age, isn't it? Yeah, he's about Bozzy's age. He he um he looks younger than Bozzy though. He's got better. His his hairline's doing a lot better than Bozzer, and he's in better nick. Yeah, but apart from that, yeah, they'd be pretty similar. <laughs> Very good. And uh, Bozzer's second question: He'd like to know who looked after you in the bubble, specifically when it came to feeding you, clothing you, and washing your duvet. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> there's actually a bit of a Bozzer will, will laugh about this because I'll I'll send him a shirt just to prove it. But I, I had a bit of an issue with the washing. Um, in Canberra, I put all my clothes in the wash. I think I was hungover. Uh, it was like your own washing machine because most of the trip, you just put your put your washing in a bag and you take it to the team room, and then the people at the hotel do it and give it back to you. So it's pretty. It was pretty good. You looked after well, but in Canberra, you had it was like an apartment, so you had your own washing machine in the in the room. And I'm like, got to do some washing here. Like I haven't washed anything for like a week, so I've thrown. 
think it was pretty much all my training gear in and I just put the washing. I didn't really know what setting I put it on. And it's a wash and dry, same thing. Anyway, I've pulled it out and all my clothes have like, all the training clothes have like gone purple. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even, I still don't even know what I did. I think I had it on like a cold wash or, you know, and it was too, and that shrunk as well. So it, it, it all shrunk. So I had to get like new clothes. I've got to stop you, mate. There's, I have to say, the fact that you think a cold wash could shrink your clothes. Now, the cold wash, the, so the colours of the training clothes, like the black had come out all through the pink because the, the, the dryer made it shrink. I'm not that stupid. You are, you are throwing yourself <laughs> under the bus here. I mean, Boz has asked you a question to set you up for a massive fall and, and you've just gone and jumped <laughs> in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Yeah, well, I thought I'd give Bozzer what he wants, so I might send Bozzer one of my purple purple shirts just to just to show him. But no, to to answer his question, I didn't need anyone looking after me. Like there was, you know, a few people were a bit a bit worried about my eating habits or the amount of drinking. But yeah, I'd sort of attach myself to probably the two blokes that are probably just as bad as me, or if not worse. So um, <laughs> one one of them was English, and one of them's an old off spinner. <laughs> Very, very good, mate. Well, uh, it's good to kind of have a few questions uh, sent in from some of our patrons. Um, so thanks to them and thanks to your uh, candid responses, Bert. Now, at the start of the podcast, I mentioned, obviously, last time round, you, you got a bit of a grilling from some of your old housemates. And it's rather appropriate that we've kind of finished on a question from Dave Bostock, basically questioning your ability to look after yourself. But, um, you know, I did say you were going to get the opportunity to perhaps... Uh, fire back a few shots and obviously we know that i like to stir it up occasionally without them being here so uh but the floor is yours is there anything you want to tell us or anything you want to say to uh messrs bostock sawaz and barker yeah the big the big three they call those those guys now well you know i've had a lot of time to think between um between podcasts and i did listen back to it and yeah it, it was it was a bit of an attack. Like I can just imagine those three sitting in their house together, giggling, giggling away like little schoolgirls. You know, oh, what can we get Bert with here? What did Bert do that day that we can exaggerate into a funny story for the podcast? Get a few, get a few laughs. I just think between the three of them, there were so many flaws. You know, not not just in life, but you know, the way they the way they went about living with me for my for my you know stint of probably 10 months with them you know dave Dave bostock claimed to be this you know this this big this big chef larger than life figure around macclesfield but he was you know he was barely seen on a night out he was barely seen past if he went out on a night out past 10 o'clock you know he was barely seen without holding sarah's hand or cuddling sarah and even sarah got to the point where this is this is sickening like it was, it was actually it was actually sickening at one point you know he, as i said he called himself the big chef in the kitchen but you know every time and jim melrose will back me up here every time we had to have some of his chicken it was so dry that it was you know yeah you had to have water with it to get it down but you know me just being me and being a good bloke i just i just ate it to make him feel better about himself you know what i mean like there was no complaints i just you know got through it and and yeah you know i didn't want bozzer we know how emotional he is and sensitive he is we didn't need any more breakdowns than what was happening at the time moving on to Khaled Sawats now i think everyone on this podcast would agree that Khaled is a a different type of cat he likes to live life his own way you know you can't really tell Cal what to do like you know he's you know he might be a loyal friend in a way but then you know he's always wanting something out of you he's always wanting something from you you know without much without much return like you know he's been painfully annoying me for a cricket bat now for three months for me to send over and you know I've got all these gifts from Burgie even Bozzer Alex Haynes you know sent me all these ports you know they send me stuff regularly but I've never received anything from from Cal, but yet he just demands this, you know, these requests from me. And to my to my horror as well, I will I won't give him a cricket bat until he plays for Macclesfield again. So that that's on the podcast official. Now Frankie Barker, Mr. Mac, Mr. Mac he called himself. You know, I always sort of struggled why he actually called himself that. You know, he had he had as many haters as he had likers in Mac. You know, oh Frankie's carrying on again. Oh here's Frankie. Oh big man Frank. You know, Frank's cracking on with a story here. Or Frank thinks he can play cricket. Or Frank, Frank thinks he can play rugby. Frank thinks he's a back rower. Frank thinks he's a second rower. Um, you know, I think, you know, when, when I was in Mac, Frank was this big superstar. 
rugby player, and he just never lived up to the hype. And I think I think it bothered him, um, and I think it got to him in his daily life. Out of the three, I would have to say Frank. Yeah, you know, Frank um, probably talked the least amount of bull. <laughs> if that's a good way of pulling it, yeah, not sure what that's down to, but yeah, you know, Frankie out of the three had the, had the least amount of bull in the podcast, um, just because he's more probably self promoting himself than forgetting to to put me under the cosh. But but yeah, they, they, there's those three those three people I live with. But no, I, I do still talk to them all the time, and it is good to see Frank and Frank and Bozer especially married, and well, Frank about to be married. Pal, we'll get there one day. Don't worry. But yeah. Anyway, I'll expect a, a friendly phone call from, from a couple of them after this one airs. Fair, that's uh, some stellar work. And I think it was only right and fair to give you an opportunity to to repost some of the, uh, frankly, awful remarks they made about you on that, that previous podcast. And, you know, <laughs> they, were, they were just picking on the little guy, weren't they? No, and that's what they, they did. What do they do, what do they do now? Where do all their jokes come from without me over there? Yeah, you know, that's what they need. They did that for 10 months, Miles. <laughs> very good Bert what do they do now without me they probably don't see him <laughs> as well I, I mean I can neither confirm nor deny but of course Bert you know we are in lockdown so uh, it is difficult to see yeah, people true. but I think one thing that we can say with a great degree of certainty that when we do get out of lockdown nobody will ever see Dave Bostock and it'll just be the same <laughs> <laughs> probably a good thing well, I mean, you said it, but <laughs> now moving on, mate, towards the end of the podcast, uh, just a couple of uh, little things um, just to update us kind of how Para are getting on. I know there's some uh, some loyal supporters of Parramatta District Cricket Club out there. Obviously, you've not played for them for, well, I guess, what, eight weeks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, how's the Para season going and then just kind of aims for the for the rest of the season for yourself, mate? Um, yeah, well, uh, we've sort of struggled a bit this year. Like, we're, we're going okay at the start of the year. A couple of washouts hurt us, but yeah, I, I I haven't played for almost for para now, almost three months. Be so, yeah, been a long time. It sort of struggled. Like quite a few guys have retired from when we we're winning comps and making finals. But yeah, like quite a few young players that are coming through that have you know sort of done okay at you know, ages 18, 19. So I think there's you know there's a, there's a future there if, if guys like that can kick on. Yeah, so there's three games to go. We we, we can't make finals, so it's it's basically for me just you know. It'd be nice to win, yeah, two two out of three or three out of three to finish finish on a bit of a high. Personally, I've got some second eleven four day games coming up as well, so I think yeah, pretty big month or so for me to you know try and get probably two or three big scores to finish the year. I obviously haven't you know batted in a game for I think it's twelve weeks or something, so it's a long time. But yeah, I think yeah, set myself up for next year. You know, if that's with New South Wales or I think the six you know the sixes you know possibility of, of being back there with a good chance of being back there, I think. So, yeah, just hopefully a couple of big scores to round out the year and then um, I guess see what see what happens from there. Fantastic, mate. And, um, you know, before we wrap up the podcast, mate, any sort of closing remarks? Anything you want to say? No, not, not much. I did, um, I did have an interesting conversation with Liam Livingston one night because um, he obviously played for Net, which when I was over there, we were chatting about that, and he, he had some uh, some choice words to say about Rob Porter. I know he's a friend of the podcast, and he actually he actually spoke quite apart from Rob Porter, he spoke quite high of Macclesfield, and he had some yeah you know, some good memories of playing against Mac and being in the clubhouse. So um, I think for, even for me as a as a past overseas player, it was pretty cool for someone like that. You know, he's playing for England now, that still remembers the club. Uh, well and has fond memories of, of playing against Mac and um, he remembered you know a lot of the players that played against uh, played against him and yeah no, I think I think that, that was that was pretty cool to be able to share that in common with him and then obviously for him to have you know such nice words to say about Mac I think is a, is a good really good thing for the for the club fantastic Bert well it's been an absolute pleasure mate really thanks for taking the time to to once again jump on the podcast and uh Tell us all about your recent experiences. Obviously, everybody over here sends you our, our best wishes. Um, lots of love to you and Dom. So, uh, you know, best of luck for the for the remainder of your season and keep in touch. And I'm sure we'll hear from you soon. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. And um, I hope everyone's doing all right over there in, in lockdown. But yeah, no, it's been good to get all the messages from, from all the boys when I've been away. So yeah, definitely keep in touch. And um, yeah, thanks for having me on and stay safe over there. Cheers, Bert. Top man. Legend. Thanks, mate. Woo!